1: You have to understand human nature.
2: This podcast is powered by ACAST.
1: How are you doing there? It is podcast time and this podcast, today we're going to talk about, John, the gender pay gap, Why men uh, still yes. get paid more than women, yeah. which is obviously illegal, but yeah. it still happens. i are going to look at this because so many people who listen to our podcast are either young fathers or young mothers. Yeah. And they are at that stage, if you look at the demographic who listens to the podcast, our listeners are in their 30s, a huge, huge chunk. And what they are, they're at that stage in life where they're trying to get their career together, their partners, their wives, whatever, are usually doing more of the childcare than the bloke. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And they're trying to come up with you know, being a good mother. If you're, you know, a young woman, good mother, good wife, you know, good, all sorts of things, good employee, all these things. And you're trying to juggle everything. So we're going to talk just about trying that. Trying to get on with life. Yeah, yeah. To get on with that. So we're going to talk about, you know, obviously it's just two centrist dads yes, here. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, yeah,
2: I hope we hit the right tone in this. But I yeah. agree with you because, because it is something that, you know, as a father of four girls, and a, a working wife. Yeah, you know, it's actually an issue that crops up in our house All the time. around the dinner table. All and, the time. You know, and my kids feel very strong about it. My wife feels very strong about it, and rightly so. And, and I feel very strong and, and, about and,
1: it. And, and lots of listeners feel very strong strongly yeah. about it too. But it was quite interesting. I, I put it up on Twitter. It's, it's really funny because I wrote an article about it last week, and you you, you know you get on Twitter. Of course, Twitter is quite male focused. Yeah. And you get the the deluge of oh, you man. know. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know, they, they take time off and la la la, lads yeah, yeah. work. And then you look at the people who really, really get angry. Yeah. And then you look at their re, their recent tweets and their retweets. And it also a lot of it's Bitcoin, a lot of it's anti-vaxxers, a lot of it's this. And that yeah, just, yeah. In the Venn diagram, in the Venn diagram of interests, yes. there is an extraordinary commonality, let's just say, yeah, between people who shout and roar about women at work and tend to not just are into crypto or not just are into anti-vaxxing but and of course they're it's a type it's a they're type they're anti-Ukraine and they yeah. and I'm a Weff Shrill do you know that oh yes I'm a wef shrill so I believe because the World Economic Forum gave me a bloody prize about 20 years ago. Yeah I didn't ask for it and I went there to get it and now I'm a Wef Shrill a world economic stooge of Klaus Schwab a man I've never fucking met and I don't I wouldn't even know if he walked into McKenna's well he wouldn't walk into McKenna's
2: <laughs> well speaking of which though Mike You've had a bit of a week. Yeah, yes, it's a bit. It's <laughs> the the worst Web is, is also a, a teddy boy.
1: Oh, I know. This, just, this is the worst thing now. Yeah. yeah, I have a TED talk, which is a big deal. I tomorrow, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I tomorrow, no, it's it's great, and it was it's, it's on the power of unconventional thinking. Right, and I did it in at the Big TED conference, the Big TED shindig. Oh, in Canada. Yeah, in the in late April in Vancouver. Yeah. And I'll tell you all about this maybe in the next podcast or maybe we might even discuss it at Kilcanomics. Yes.
2: In our podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's quite it's quite a story and there's quite a backstory to it. Yeah, no, it's it a good so. story.
1: We're doing a live podcast, John and I at Kilcanomics. We'll talk to you about Kilcanomics again. But... Yeah, I think I think it went well. We'll see. We'll see yeah, how it yeah, goes.
2: Yeah. Well you have to be a little bit more polished than uh...
1: much more polished than this. There'd be no <laughs> effing and blinding. and no talking about Shamrock <laughs> rovers. No, you're 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 a polished version of yourself. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it, and it is North America and it's a very, very different way of delivering speeches. They've a very, very different way. Let's just say that there's a huge amount of practice goes into it.
2: As as they say, how do you get to a TED talk stage? Practice.
1: Exactly. You know, there was a lot of practice, doing a lot of Ecker, a yeah. lot of Ecker. But anyway, anyway, we will talk about this. And we'll talk about Kilkenomics maybe after we discuss what we're actually here to discuss, yes. which is the fact that there is an ongoing gender pay gap in the world and in Ireland. So
2: what brought you to write about that this
1: week? So what brought me to write about that this week, or to think about that this week was I was watching, the uh, maybe it was watching TV or it was on, on, on online or something. I saw that a city I've been to, Reykjavik, which yeah. is a really beautiful city and yeah. well worth going to. And I actually ended up doing a documentary there for ABC, the Australian TV station, on the crisis in Reykjavik, et cetera, right? And and you'll know... Well, this is when the, the bank crash and bank stuff. Bank crash, exactly. Yeah. And you know the Icelandics were very, very good at protesting. They went mad during this period. They yeah. just said, okay, screw this. So they had this extraordinary thing that the bankers in Iceland... Decided to describe themselves as the new Vikings. And they're taking over of lots and lots of big companies and assets. They bought West Ham Football Club, for example, with leveraged money, right? right? And they were asked, why are they doing this? Why are the Icelandics so successful? And they said, well, because it's in our blood. We're these macho we're men, Vikings. These Vikings. We're Vikings, right? <laughs> and of course, this really pissed off a lot of Icelandic women, Yeah. Right? this sort of macho thing. And then at the end, what happened? Well, when the banks collapsed in Iceland and they did collapse spectacularly. Yeah. The Icelandics took a totally different attitude to lots of other countries. But what there is in Iceland is this extraordinary, vibrant democracy. Vibrant, vibrant democracy and an egalitarian democracy. Mm. And last week, last Tuesday, Icelandics woke up to something very bizarre. They turned on their radio. It was all male voices. All the ads were male. All the interviewers were male. All the interviewees were male. There were no women on the airwaves. There were no women anywhere. All women went on strike for 24 hours in Iceland, including the Prime Minister, who's a woman, and half of her cabinet, who are women, to complain about the fact that after all this legislation, women still don't get paid Right,
2: okay. And it
1: brought to mind an incident that I remember years and years ago when I worked in London. This is way before I had kids. Yeah. And I worked in, as you know, a trading floor in a big investment bank, which is a very, very macho environment. Like the blokes are big big alpha males. Testosterone
2: all over the place. Big balls all over
1: there. Balls in wheelbarrows, right? (laughs) Walking around the trading floor, okay? And uh, Buster Gonad. Do you remember him from The Viz? (laughs) So it was Buster Gonad in Hugo Boss. Imagine that, right? And I would (laughs) sit there and watch all the bosses. And of course they had kids. They were in their late 30s, when I would be in my mid-20s, late 20s. And on the day before Christmas Eve, let's say the 23rd, Mm. all these big balls, alpha male guys who spent their time humiliating all of their juniors, all the time, right, would arrive in with their little children Right, yeah. And they'd yeah. kind of parade their kids, these little kids, around the office as if to signal, I could well be a total bollocks, but you yeah. know what? I'm kind of human because look, I'm a daddy. Yeah,
2: yeah right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And this is my
2: soft side. This is
1: my soft side, right? And I used to sit there, and the cynic in me just thought, this is all nonsense, right? Yeah. And I'd be talking to little Jemima and Pippa because that's what they were always called <laughs> in England. You know? Tilly. Uh, you know? yeah. yeah, yeah. They've all got like little nicknames that aren't yeah. real names, right? So, what you notice yep. is nicknames are the preserve of the working class and the upper class. Middle class don't have really nicknames, yeah. right? Okay. In the same way, they don't tend to last long.
2: Like, like Macker.
1: Yeah, I know. But that's because. <laughs> <the thing>. <laughs> Because we're, we're from the street, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the sort of, you know, semi-detached streets. <laughs> anyway, so the little Pippas and the Jemimas are in, and the dads are there, and I just thought, here are these fathers parading their kids. Grant, okay, I know what you're trying to do here, but interestingly, this is what struck me, is the they're the corporate men. The corporate women, of which there were many, mm. didn't bring their kids in, didn't show their kids off. So it was only the corporate dads who brought their kids in on the 22nd of December. The corporate mums never brought their kids in. Why? Because the corporate dads understood that bringing the kids in would signal a sign of strength. Oh, right. I'm a whole human being. Look at me, I'm a dad, I can do this as well. The corporate, now we're talking to the nineties, the corporate mums understood that bringing their kids in would be a sign of weakness. It would reiterate that they weren't quite as committed to the jobs the corporate dads because they might be the ones who'd have to be on call, which is a a lot of this discussion is going to be about the on-call parenting. Yeah. And so the women never brought their kids in and they never spoke about them. And the men spoke ad nauseum about their kids but never saw them because they couldn't see them because they were working with me 24-7.
2: Do you think this was more kind of a a corporate culture in the kind of the finance sector? Yeah, well, I suppose
1: like finance was quite quite macho. Yeah. I mean this is the place that I didn't get the nickname Mick or Paddy. Even yeah. though I was the only Irish person I got the nickname Semtex. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine? All right. Imagine oh Semtex. <laughs> like, so I was called Semtex all through the nineties. It was really shocking. Like by these like East yes, End lads. the End lads. Now, for them, it was a term of endearment. I yeah. was all right, yeah. right? But uh, the Paddy mm-hmm. was too generic, and Mick was too generic, yeah. and Irish was too generic. But one of the one of the lads came up with, "He's all right." Semtex. <laughs> so well, right. okay. was Semtex, okay. An just,
2: explosive character.
1: Explosive character. But basically, he's just saying he's a Mick, okay? Yeah. He's one of them, right? Yeah. But you're right about the culture. The culture was quite macho, mm. right? And it yeah. was very yeah. male. But my point is. The way in which children were regarded was quite, quite different. So for the women who were in the corporate jobs doing well and on their way up, children were basically out of sight, out of mind, and they never spoke about it. Men who were on the way up took this almost like anointed day. It's almost like St. Patrick's Day for Irish Americans. You can be Irish that day. It was this anointed day that they would be, the Uber father. Yeah, And this kind of struck yeah, yeah. me as something that I would have hoped, John, this was the 90s, that that has all changed. But the Icelandic women reinforced to me that that hasn't changed so much. And what you see all around the Western world and still in Ireland is this gender pay gap. And the question then is why? Now, for economics It's interesting that the Nobel Prize was given last week Mm. to a female economist called Claudia Golden for specifically research into this area. And the thing about the Nobel Prize these days in economics, it's not so much given to great discoveries and new discoveries, it's given to great ways of unearthing things we already know in terms of how did you go about it. And Golden went about it by this kind of exhaustive trawl of all the data. She described herself as... The economist as detective.
2: Just before we talk about Golden, there, just give us a little bit more on, on Iceland. Well, on Iceland what, so what, 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 what actually happened? happened is yeah, yeah,
1: The whole society closed down Did for 24 Paris, hours, yeah. right? So, so, all you talk about media, right? Yeah. All the media closed down, schools closed down, hospital closed down, all PR companies, sales, marketing. These are positions that are what you regard as feminised. They used yeah. to be just teaching but and nursing, but now it's changed completely because, of course, women are in the workforce. Well, in, in every uh, Yeah, in every area. Of, yeah. so, so basically, it was for Icelandic women to remind Icelandic men that, hold on a second, yeah. we're not getting paid as much as you, and we are as important as you, and we're going to show you that because the economy is going to, and the society is going to close down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is exactly what happened.
2: But, but you know, you hear this all the time, that it's gender pay gap is some sort of woke issue. This is nothing to do with wokeism. This is about kind of human rights and civil rights.
1: Well, it's it's, it's about equality. And equality yeah. isn't about wokeism. Equality is... is yeah, exactly. It's what societies have to be based on. Mm. So what you see in Ireland, for example, the question is, you know, there is still around a 12% pay gap, gender pay gap in Ireland, right? Mm. This is despite the fact that Irish women are now better educated than Irish men. So 56% of Irish women have a second... or 56% of Irish women have a degree, right? Mm. That compares with 36% in the rest of the EU. So Irish women are much better educated, and they're better educated than men in Ireland. They have a higher proportion of degrees, but also you know now that women are doing much better in the leaving search. So young girls do much better in the leaving search. So in a services economy, so Ireland was never an industrial economy. We went from being an agricultural economy to a services economy. That was a huge, huge jump. So in the agricultural economy, obviously women didn't work as farmers on the land to the same extent men did. But the service economy gives women the opportunity to work. The industrial economy, John, which most of Western Europe went through, was very, very much a male-dominated area. We didn't have that to the same degree. So now we're a services economy. That will tend to be very linked to higher levels of education. Mm. Irish women have higher levels of education, not only than Irish men, but they have higher levels of education, much higher than European women. And yet there is still this pay gap which is that women are paid less per hour. Yeah. Right? So it's not actually per hour's worked; it's actually per hour. And it's illegal to do so. But yeah. even if you if you look at, right, look at the evidence, it's amazing. The gender pay gap in Ireland is 11.3%, right, in general. Yeah. But in the Department of the Taoiseach, which is actually the centre of government, the pay gap is 8.8%. So even working for Leo yeah. at the centre of government, there is this gap. And then when you look at multinationals, because it's now illegal not to report it. There's new legislation in Ireland, which means every company that employs over 250 people has to actually report this. And it's now going to be 150 this year and down to 50 next year. So it has to be reported, right? In the multinationals, which you would think that the pay gap would be actually better. It's actually worse. So JP Morgan in Ireland, Mm -hmm. the hourly gender pay gap in J.P. Morgan is 22.4%. And the hourly gender pay gap in PwC is 12%. And these are big, big figures in the service industry. And then the question is, why is this? Well, especially in
2: in that kind of pay bracket, I'm sure that they pay in J.P. Morgan. It's a lot of bread. That percentage is enormous. But come here, tell me, why is it then that in sectors particularly sectors that are dominated by women. Like charity sector is a good example. In sectors like that, they still have, in senior management, it's still dominated by men. Why is that?
1: Well, maybe let's pick this up after the break. It's that time of the year.
0: Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness.
2: Okay, Mike. Let's talk about what Claudia Golden found in her research. Who yeah. and she was the the Nobel Prize winner for economics on this issue. Like, you know, what did she find was the the driving force behind the gender pay gap?
1: So this is a, this is American, but it pertains to most countries. But mm. Europe has a much better social protection system, right? So it's going to change a wee bit. Mm. But what she found is that the key issue that drives a wedge between women's wages and men's wages, women's salaries and men's salaries, women's bonus packages and men's bonus packages, is parenting. So the woman still, despite all the legislation, mothers are still, what would they regard as the on-call parent. So what you find is that when women, between the ages of, let's say, 22, 23, they go into the workforce, and 32, 33, there is no major, major gap. Once a woman becomes a mother, it changes the dynamic completely, right? And the reason is the following is that women, it's quite funny, young mothers listening to this show will probably say, hold on a second, you get a Nobel Prize for figuring out that, you know, juggling dinner, football gear, school runs, you know, blah, 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 all the stuff, and trying to be a good wife, and trying to go out, and la, la, la. You know, you get a Nobel Prize for this? Like, I'm I'm sure there's lots of women listening and say, ah, for fuck's sake, we could have told you that, right?
2: I I should have a Nobel Prize. I should have a Nobel Prize. For motherhood. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And still do all these things and still be on that kind of conference call at six o'clock talking about the sales figures for the Asian market or the sales figures for the product in Germany. This is the reality for working women. Yeah. That they have to, because they're on call. So number one, they are still in work supposed to be as applied as their male colleagues. Mm. But because typically the woman is the on-call parent, all the things that fathers tend typically not to think about, has little Mick got his GAA gear? Yeah. Has he got his lunch, right? Yeah. Does he have his, he, you know, one of his vaccines? Who's picking, you know, little Mary up after this, that? And the, yeah. It's the mother thinks about all these things,
2: yeah. right? Or, or sometimes it's, it's, you know, when there is trouble that the mother is the first port of call for the kids I see this all the time in, in my house and my wife as you know works her ass off yes and dealing with all that kind of stuff yes, so I'm, so I'm ashamed is, to say that I, I'm part of it. but it's stuff. true but yeah. it's true
1: because they won't call you because you're, <laughs> you're, nice you're an Egypt. you're a nice idiot but you're an idiot you're like me i never going to call about anything <laughs> like I, I, I you know Sham say, you say know, you know, oh you know like Lucy's a parent teacher meeting today like a what yeah.
2: Yeah, so you know, you know all I do is do the driving around yeah you know? yeah
1: yeah but so, so, so the serious point is that in the trade-off between work and parenting, the mother is much more likely to be forced to make the choice, right? And that is the key. So there's only 24 hours in the day. If you are worried about the house, the children, at the same time as you're trying to be meet your sales targets or be a yeah. good marketing executive or be a good doctor or be a good teacher or whatever it happens to be, you are going to be completely conflicted. So the key thing is that number 1 is that women are the on-call parent so the wedge is parenting and mm-hmm. how that's approached and despite all the legislation fathers tend to be much more in the background and this is we're going to talk about how this affects perceptions of workplace performance in a second what claudia golden also said is that over many many years there's been a U-shaped curve for women's employment in the labour market. So go back to, let's say, 1850. Mm. So in a country like Ireland in 1850 or 1840 or whatever, women and men worked almost the same amount. So if the woman wasn't working at the farm, she was working in the home, Right. Mm. She was working in small-scale artisan work. She was a knitter. She was a weaver. She was doing all this sort of stuff. This yeah. is the economy, right? That was the economy of the pre-industrial age. So in the pre-industrial age, ironically, was much more egalitarian. Right?
2: Right, yeah, yeah. Women were yeah. earning
1: as much as, or in many cases, not much less, than men. Yeah. So they were part of the artisan pre-industrial economy, very much so. Mm-hmm. Then you get the industrial economy from about 1850. To about 1950 and what you find there is that women are completely shut out of the factory world the factory world becomes very male becomes very much a muscular job yeah and women were told to go and look after the kids and much of the agitation interesting towards higher wages was on the supposition that women wouldn't go to work so fellas had to get better wages so they could keep The family going. So the 100 year period from about 1850 to 1950, women completely disappear from the workforce. And the figures go from about 60% participation to less than 10%. So this is the world that we know of black and white TV, right? The world of the Avon lady. This is the world of the 1950s. You know, this is the world of, Do you ever see mad men?
2: Yes, yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. this is the
1: world where women are totally and utterly locked into being subservient because their economic power is taken away from them. Yeah, this is the mother's little helper, as uh, Mick Jagger would would sing about, which is women taking Prozac because they were going mad at home.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, the one area that bucked the trend slightly was Hollywood because the film editors were all female. They're all women, and they're all brilliant. And then editing kind of became this art form and then became more I didn't know that yeah yeah and then it became more male oriented uh, uh, but I'll but- give you
1: another another odd example so it's editing a film when I first went to Russia yeah I was given a little bit of advice from an old Russian hand and he said never trust a company because we were looking at companies mm. to buy for the bank he said never trust a company that hasn't got a woman as the accountant he said if you see a male accountant run a mile right. he said they're corrupt right? Right. He said in the Soviet Union, so this is the post-Soviet world, women were always the accountants, Mm. right? And there was a perception that they were much, much more likely. that when an oligarch bought a company and reverse engineered a company, the first thing they did was get rid of the old accountant and put in a new accountant because the old accountant was honest. And the old accountant was typically a woman. So they said, if you see a young lad as the accountant Run a mile. It means the company has been ransacked from the inside. <laughs> right, And that was the only thing, so the best way to rob a company yeah. is to own it, yes. right? Yeah, it was yeah. being ransacked from the inside. The other thing, first time I went to Israel, what really struck me was so many women in senior positions. All the chief economists of the Department of Finance there were all women. This is in the 90s, Right. And I couldn't was that a conscious it. thing? Yeah, because it was a kibbutz socialist country. Right, okay. So there was a very egalitarian... If you were Jewish, mm. if you're Palestinian, totally. But if you were Jewish, it was a very egalitarian country. And yeah. a bit like the Soviet Union, it elevated women. So let's go back to the West, right? Yeah. So that's just these are just anomalies, as you were yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. So so then from the 60s, 70s and 80s, we begin to shift to the services economy, to the soft economy, where we're, we're talking about sales and marketing. you talked about charities. We're talking about all sorts of more what they would describe as feminized position mm. right so of course what you have is blue collar male workers begin the process and we get we can get to trump from this actually blue collar male workers become emasculated because they are losing their position in the industries which are moving to asia right 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 what is happening at the same time is women are getting much more opportunities to work right mm. Second thing is contraception. The pill has an enormous impact on female participation. Yes, of course, yeah. Because women start taking the pill in the 60s, 70s. They start controlling their own fertility. You're mm. having less kids. Once you're having less kids, you have more time available to go to work. The other great thing, John, is the impact on female emancipation of the dishwasher and the washing machine, right? Explain. So, Ha-Jung Chang, one of the great economists who's, Come down to Kilkenomics a few times makes the point that the single most transformational piece of technology for female emancipation in the Western world was the washing machine, the clothes washing machine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because women spent an enormous amount of time washing clothes in the yeah. old days, right? And you see those things of old days, like women in the in the, the washboard ar- and in, the, in the Aran Islands, yeah. right? taking water, getting fresh water, all this. Thing. The washing machine profoundly and dramatically cut the amount of hours needed to wash clothes. Mm. And this, according to Chang, more than any other technology, liberated women. So you take the washing machine and the pill. The yeah. washing machine and the pill liberate women from the two biggest burdens, which are chores in the house and the amount of kids you have,
2: Yeah. right? Okay, yeah.
1: These kick in the 60s and 70s. And what you see is a massive increase in female participation, so that by now we have about 60, 65% participation of women and men in the workforce. So
2: this is the other side of the U. This is
1: the U curve. So basically you start start in 1850 up here with 60%, Mm. you go down to 1920, 1930 with 10%, then in the 50s you start going up again and you're now back at 60%. So that is the new world, right? But women still have this dilemma. Despite contraception, despite being liberated from the kitchen, despite having smaller families, they're still the on-call parent. And how this, of course, impacts is perceptions of women's attitudes to work, which are completely wrong, but they're deeply patriarchal. And here's the idea, which is mothers take maternity leave. Right now, of course, there is paternity leave now and in Sweden, it's enforced and you have to take it, which is which would be great. But maternity leave. So once a mother takes maternity leave, it impacts particularly in service jobs. You know, the professional services, lawyers, mm. accountants, consultants, all those sort of jobs. It profoundly impacts on their career path in their thirties because they disappear from the office, and once they disappear from the office males get all the best jobs. Yeah. Because the women aren't there. Out of
2: sight, out of mind.
1: Out of sight, out of mind. The women aren't there. Yeah. And when they come back, something weird has happened. And this is what you find in lots of women who return to the workforce in their late 30s and early 40s. They feel, hold on, something's kind of got away from me. Mm. And it typically is the following, is that the jobs, the accelerating period of your career in your mid-30s to, let's say, late 30s, that's when the lads are still there. Yeah. So they get all the best jobs. This explains why there's so many women in charities, but so many men in senior positions. So at the accelerating position of your career, when you're promoted, there are less women to be promoted. So that means that by the time a woman comes back, maybe in her early 40s, there's a bloke and another bloke over her in the hierarchy. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, and I can't prove this, it's an anecdotal piece that I think is accurate, which is many, many service jobs are now based on clients. Clients pay the bill. So the best clients pay the best bills. So always a lawyer or an accountant or a consultant is put on that client account. And that client account demands attention. Clients demand attention, which is more time, more effort, etc. And I think there has been a bias towards giving those much bigger paying accounts to men because the company knows the man will do, you know, the company dinner, they'll take them out to this, yeah. they'll do that. Yeah, they're, they're not dashing right, off to... Because they're not dashing off to collect yeah. Johnny from football Yeah, or, or Mary from Camogie, right? Yeah. So what they find is that it's an insidious process whereby women get frozen out of the best gigs, yeah. the best jobs, therefore the best bonuses. And what you find is that women in their late 40s and early 50s find themselves only notionally equal to the males that came in at the same time because they had to be the parent who was on call for parenting. There's
2: also that kind of psychological confidence issue when you've been out of the game for a while Completely. and you're coming back into what you might perceive as, as a male-dominated office. Well, it is but a
1: male-dominated. And so, you know, that's why they're popping beta blockers before they give speeches at the, at the board. Yeah. No, I've, I know loads of women who are yeah. really anxious about public speaking now. They weren't when they were younger, right? And they say it's because they feel that they haven't kept up with their male colleagues. But the point is, and it comes back to this idea, is that despite all the legislation, despite lots and lots of changes in work practices, there still is this reasonably substantial gap. Now, many economists typically have said don't worry, working from home will change all that.
2: Well, I was going to ask you that. Has it actually changed that? Or what kind of changes has that done to the Well, I think it it
1: definitely is moving towards changing because the office is about presenteeism. And you cannot be present in two places. So you can't be present at the school gate and the office, right? So somebody has to make that choice. So what you would see is people are thinking that working from home is one of those almost horizontal effects that it flattens the hierarchy mm. and that women and men will take on more responsibilities. But, and this is another big but, lots and lots of people feel that, yes, working from home worked, but there's now, again, a big surge and companies saying, let's go back to work, Yeah, let's go back yeah, to yeah. work. And the habits that people got used to working from home have to be dropped. And you go back to this pretty hierarchical, situation. Mm. So the Norwegians and the Swedes have decided to attack this gender pay gap on the basis of paternity, that men should take paternity. And that's sending a signal very early doors that nobody is going to be the on-call parent, that both are going to be the on-call parent. Yeah. And that, I think, is is one of the big times. The whole big thing here, childcare, though. Yeah, so of
2: course, we it's had, the expense of it. and it's
1: incredibly expensive. Yeah. So therefore, lots and lots of women calculate, is it worth going to work? No. I'll stay at home, not for my maternity leave, but for four or five years. Yeah. If we had fully comprehensive state childcare, like we have fully comprehensive state primary schools. Yeah. Once our kids get to five years old, they go into a system. Why not have that at one? Lots of people say, oh my God, that's that's anti-family and anti-this and anti-that. Well, you, you can choose. Yeah. But the point is, unless you have comprehensive childcare that is actually affordable at the point of entry, so it's like our national schools, what you will find is that women will always have to make that choice. Women always have to make that choice, or not always, but typically have to make that choice. They will find themselves, as you pointed out, either being insecure when they come back to the workforce Mm. or be behind on the promotional ladder or be given the worst clients because they're kind of easy peasy and they lose their financial and commercial competence. Mm. And I suppose to end this, this is exactly what the Icelandic women were trying to focus on.
2: But actually, there are organisations like things like the 30% Club, which is a global organisation that is promoting more women on board level. And actually, do you know in 2018, in Ireland, it was about 18% of board level were female. That's all. That's all. In 2022... There's thirty two percent. Wow, that's a big so, jump. It, so it is a big jump, and there is huge amount of progress being made. But it is women like the Icelanders who are who have of to go,
1: go out on, on strike. Yeah,
2: on uh, protest. and maybe
1: maybe that's the next big strike in Ireland. Will be the sisters down in Tools. Talk to you on Thursday.